Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The Lord has led me to a topic for this morning, a theme that should obviously cause us to glorify God, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, to promote His Word where His promises are recorded for us, to build assurance of our faith, increase our confidence, provoke our service, and cause us to do exploits for Him by considering the promises of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we have a wonderful text to begin with. And I hope that by the grace of the Holy Spirit in your hearts and minds, we can fill our mouths with laughter, whether we express that noise or not. We have just sung, but we ought to be so thankful and full of joy and gladness at the promises that God has given us. He didn't have to. He went far beyond any call of duty. He went beyond what would ordinarily be expected to swear with an oath in His covenant with Abraham to go beyond just promising. He's a God that cannot lie and does not repent. That is sufficient. He changes not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet He still reassures us with the word promise and promises throughout the pages of Scripture. And there's a reason. My God that I serve doesn't believe in unconditional love any more than I believe in it. God loves us very conditionally. Thankfully, the conditions were performed by His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God cannot love unconditionally. To be just and the justifier, He sees us in the Lord Jesus Christ who fulfilled enormous conditions for us by the blood of His cross. And so the promises are in Him and they are sure in Him because He has invested His Son on our behalf for the verity and performance of His promises. I read to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. I want to tell you what we have here so that you'll understand the reading. The apostle was held up from visiting Corinth when he had thought he would be able to visit, when he had told them he would probably visit. They, with the wicked spirit that the Corinthians had toward the Apostle Paul, accused him of being a wishy-washy, uncertain, yes or no man. They couldn't count on his word. He will address that right here and then say, that's that's what you have said about me in my plans to visit you, but you know that my preaching was yes and amen because it was in Christ. I want you to know where it's, I want you to watch and look for it's Paul stating that God is true and I am true and what I preached to you was in truth. So I read to you beginning at verse 15. And in this confidence, I was minded to come unto you before that ye might have a second benefit and to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. 
Those were his plans. He would have visited them twice. Once on the way up through Greece, on the way to Macedonia, and then back down through Greece. He would have been in Corinth of Achaia twice. Verse 17, When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose? Do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in Him was yea. For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, amen, Amen. unto the glory of God by us. Now He which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Amen and amen. We want verse 20, and we want to delight in verse 20. For all the promises of God in Him, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in Him, amen, Amen. unto the glory of God by us. Notice how the Apostle Paul transitions from defending himself of them accusing him of using lightness. That he had lightly said, I'm going to come and visit you. That he had in his flesh said that he would come and visit them. And so they were accusing him of, yes, this time, no, this time, yes, no, yes, no, back and forth, wishy-washy, uncertain man, the Apostle Paul. Doesn't it make you sick that a church, they do this throughout the two epistles. They make fun of our brother. Right. Oh, he was such a merciful Apostle, Do you know how many times he told them, be thankful I... Let's just go to verse 23. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you, I came not as yet unto Corinth. What a good apostle. He hadn't been to Corinth yet because he was going to use a rod on them if he got there. And he said, we'll find out who's got the power when I got there. And he isn't playing little childish games like tele-evangelists. He wasn't going to have a word of knowledge about someone's kidney stones. He was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But back to verse 20. I want you to love verse 20. Do you believe verse 20? That all the promises that God has made, they're in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are yes, and they are amen. Amen. Unto the glory of God by us. That is the preachers of the gospel that bring the promises of God from His written word and declare them to you. The word yea. The Bible doesn't use the word yes. It occurs four times, the word yes, to let us know that God knows that the word is yes. But do you know how many times yea occurs in the form of yes? 320 times. Yes. When God says a promise, you can say yes. That will come to pass. That is true. Indeed. And amen. Amen means truly, verily. It is so in truth. Be it so really. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and in Him, amen, because He is the one that performs them. And it's on the merit and basis and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that God is able to promise such great, exceeding great, great and precious 
Exceeding great and precious promises, according to Second Peter chapter one and verse four. Brethren, let us delight in the promises of God. The study has gone farther than I intended it to go. And let's try to manage our time today and not make this overly long, but to rejoice in God's promises. God has written a Bible to us, brethren. It is a written revelation, a divine library of His wisdom to us. It includes all the information we need to know about the past, the present, and the future. It can reverently be called His love letter to the church. And it contains exceeding great and precious promises. The gospel is the good news or glad tidings of good from God to you. And the gospel is filled with promises. God has promised to do things for you that are fabulously beyond knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have men imagined in their hearts the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Now that's a promise right there, isn't it? That there are things coming you've never seen, you've never heard, you've never thought about or imagined. You live in America in 2014. You are too fat, too happy, too protected, too pampered, too much at peace to appreciate what I just said to you. There have been slaves and martyrs and persecuted and tortured and imprisoned in the past that to have thought upon a verse like I just quoted to you, 1 Corinthians 2.9, would have been the joy and hope of their hearts. We are too comfortable in America. We want to be uncomfortable in America, and we want to be comfortable in the promises of God. Lord, help us to that end. To the degree we trust every word of God, we will profit from His many promises to us. To the degree we make the words of God personal, that is, claim them ourselves individually, we will claim those promises and make them very intimate because they are. Consider a message. You that work in a, for a company or you that don't work for a company, consider a message, a written email or a letter, a certified letter delivered to your door from the president of the country or from the CEO of your company promising you great rewards and it's copied to the nation, if it's the president, or it's copied to all the other employees of the company, if it's a CEO. You get a written revelation of promised rewards that the president or your CEO is going to give you and it's copied to the rest of the company or the country. You say, why are you asking us to think about that? Because you have it in the Word of God. It's been copied to everyone else, but it's to you. Do you read the Bible that way? There's an infinite spirit that is able to write this book and did write this book and did preserve this book for each one of us intimately and individually. It's written with promises for you individually. I don't even like using the word Y-O-U anymore because it is so vague. The Bible had thee, thou and thine for individuals. You so vague, you can't tell whether I'm talking about one person or all of you. But it's written to thee. And it's copied to everyone else. You know, CC, carbon copy, 
the other 7,000 employees of the company. But it's addressed to you, the promises of God, or 315 million people, because it's from the president of our country. Forget the president of our country or the CEO of your company. We're talking about the God of heaven. The God of heaven wrote me a letter, and he copied you on it. And I want all of you to be saying the same thing about me, that he wrote you a letter and copied me on it. I'm going to show you some personal statements from God's Word today, and I hope that we can have our mouths filled with laughter and our, and our throats with singing. Brethren, you are not alone in the universe, merely existing on the short road to sickness and death. We are at the threshold of a new year on the calendar. Are you going to use God's Word more than ever before? We have a few weeks and we are going to start a new year. Let's commit ourselves to reading the Word of God and embracing its promises and claiming those promises and living by those promises. If you or I are going to be more like David than Psalm 1 and Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, exalt the Word of God and we should exalt it with David. What is a promise? A declaration or assurance made to another person with respect to the future. Stating what one will do or refrain from doing some specified act, or that one will give or bestow some specified thing. A promise is a declaration of doing something for you. A promise is a declaration of giving something to you. So we want to embrace that word. The Bible uses it over a hundred times. It's a wonderful word. We want to love that word. If there's a difference between prophecy and promise, we can look at prophecy as God declaring something He will do in general, and a promise is something He's going to do in particular. Particular for you. We aren't dealing with something quite as vague as a prophecy. We're going to deal with things today that are promises that you can claim. You know, when people love or need each other, they reassure each other with promises of goodwill. It's just part of our our race. Superlatives can easily become common as they reach for verbal extremes to impress. Every dating couple knows what I'm talking about, or every couple that is dated knows what I'm talking about. They say things like, I will love you forever. Wow, that's a pretty big commitment. Uh, since a 60-year marriage, in the big scheme of things, is a hair's breadth compared against eternity. But uh, that's how they talk. That's how we talk. I will always love you. And many more such statements. Wedding vows, especially ours, may be consciously met that day of the wedding, but sinful hearts change. So people make lots of statements and they don't keep them. How many politicians have promised grand things they could not or would not perform? Ever heard any of those? How many employers have promised good things they later could not or did not fulfill? And so we get used to promises not being kept. But oh, all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God. Love that verse. What do we consider as helpful or necessary factors in order to believe and trust a promise? What do we think about that adds to the probability of a promise being performed, we consider the character and integrity of the one making the promise. I hope your mind is on the Lord our God. Okay? Any promise made by a man to you 
you measure by the character or integrity of that man. But I'm thinking way beyond any man or woman. I want us to think all the way to the throne of heaven. And so we have the Lord in our sights. We consider the strength and wealth of the one making the promise for his ability to perform. Is there any shortage there with the Lord? We consider the past performance of the one making a promise for confirming evidence for a future performance. Do we have all the records of how God has performed His Word? Oh, we're blessed. In this book, we're blessed so much about the promises of God. We consider whether the promise made is within the reasonable realm of probability of coming to pass. Anything is possible with our God. We consider whether there is any binding obligation or duty on the one making the promise. Is there a binding obligation on God, His Word, and His Son? His whole character rides on His Word. He's exalted His Word above all His name. We consider whether there are any conditions attached and how easily they can be met. And the big conditions have already been met by the Lord Jesus Christ for the promises of God. We consider if the one making the promise has a legitimate motive to make and fulfill it. And the Lord God has a legitimate motive. It's His glory. He created this whole thing for His glory. When we go through those reasons and how we would look at a man making us a promise and we would measure this way and this way and this way, when we look at the Lord, His promises... The promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, amen. You say, I'm going to memorize it before you get done. You're wise. Sometimes there's a method or a reason for my madness. I speak as a fool, as the apostle would say. The true God and His motives are great. His promises are absolutely certain by any way you look at Him. You know, the value of any promise, some of you mathematicians, The value of any promise is the thing promised times the probability of its performance. It's called expected return or expected outcome in mathematics. The value of the thing promised times the probability of its occurrence. Something worth $1,000 is promised with a probability of 50%. What is it worth? I know you're all afraid to leap forward on that one. It's That's easy. 500 bucks. If a promise is made for $1,000 and the probability of that occurring is 50%, then it's 500 bucks. The value of that promise is 500 bucks. If something $10,000 is promised with a probability of 5%, $10,000 is promised with a probability of 5%, it's 500 bucks. That promise is only worth 500 bucks. If something, if a million dollars is promised with a probability of it's five bucks. Though a million dollars was promised. But brethren, God's promises are of infinite value times a probability of 100% or greater. Now we're talking, yes. That's the math we like. Lord, you are so good to us. And He's written them down for us. And we want to rejoice. They will give assurance to your heart and they will give you confidence for your soul. They will cause you to live a holy life if you will embrace those promises as being made personally to you. They will help you through the curtain of death. They will help you face the trials of life because God's promises don't change by your circumstances. They're still true. And let's love those promises, embrace them, believe them, and live by them.
Every single one of you. Oh, they're wonderful. I told you, listen, I'm one third of the way through my introduction. Oh, the Lord just buried me. There's one other person that knows. Just thinking about His promises, the gospel, or the good news and glad tidings of Jesus Christ has many promises. Look at Acts chapter 13, just very quickly. Acts chapter 13, preaching declares promises. Preaching is bringing the good news, the glad tidings of good that God has promised for you. Now that makes it a pretty exciting job, doesn't it? Thank you for the privilege. It's wonderful. Acts chapter 13, verse 23. Of this man's seed hath God according to His promise raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. This is when the Apostle Paul and Barnabas on their first trip were in the synagogue in the city of Antioch of Pisidia across the Mediterranean. And the the rulers of the synagogue said, Men and brethren, do you have any word of exhortation for the people? Paul got a smile on his face and said, I think I do. And he came forward and he started preaching this sermon. And so he says in verse 23, Of this man's seed, of David's seed, hath God according to His promise raised unto Israel a Savior Jesus. Notice, he's preaching promises. And then in verse 32, And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that He hath raised up Jesus again. Promises. Preaching is declaring God's promises as His ambassador. I want to glorify Him, exalt Christ, cause you to rejoice in His Word, give you greater assurance for your life, provoke you to live a more holy life, and lead you to do exploits because you trust the promises of God. Because men who trust His promises will step out and do things that others won't. If the gospel were just the history of what God in Christ has done for us, it would be glorious. But it's far better than that. It includes great promises for the future. Paul warned that if our hope was only in this life, based on what Christ has done in the past, we are, of all men, most miserable. But we are not so. Because we have great... No, we don't. We have great and precious... No, we don't. What do we have? Exceeding great and precious promises that God has made for us. He chose the words. I'm not playing games. I'm wanting to exalt every word of God. They are exceeding great and precious promises that He has given. The closer you get to death, the more you will need His promises. So let's embrace them today. And brethren... The gospel is based on promises, but the law of Moses was not. There were promises obscure buried in that law of Moses of the Old Testament, but the promise, the promises in Christ versus the law of Moses are compared and shown in Galatians and the book of Hebrews because the new covenant is based on a, is a better covenant based on a better mediator bringing to bear better promises. It says in Hebrews chapter eight and verse six. You know, you're skeptical by many of the promises you've heard in your life because so many never materialized. Human experience says this. No promise ever materializes equal to its hope. Does the budget for a building project ever come in under budget or better than budget? No. It's just a rule of existence in this world. 
and promises never amount. We are going to have the greatest vacation we've ever had. The father tells his family, and they get home. It was good, but it wasn't the best. And so forth, we go through life. I will love you like no man has ever loved a woman. The man that needs a wife says to the woman who's not yet his wife in order to get her to be his wife. Then she gets married and she looks around. I'm about at the 50th percentile. We get used to it. God's promises are absolutely certain. What about my weak faith? What about my weak faith? Okay. Let me give you... Today is only positive. Today is only positive. Unless the Lord leads me down a different track. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. Speaking of Abraham. When Abraham first heard that Sarah was going to have a son for him, what did he do? Not Sarah, Abraham. He laughed. Who being not weak in faith but strong, giving glory to God, and believing that what He had promised He was able also to perform. It says in Romans chapter 4 and verses 20 and 21 about Abraham. Are you comforted? Have you ever, have you ever heard a promise of God? And that, that isn't, that isn't gonna come. Okay, you're just like Abraham. Do you know what He's called? The Father of the, the faithful. The Father of the faithful. And Abraham was justified by faith. And yet he laughed when he first heard about Sarah having a son. Now what did Sarah do when she first heard that she was going to have a son? She laughed. Hebrews 11.11 says, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She laughed. So, take comfort. God knows our frame. He knows that we are weak. And like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear Him. Is that comforting to you? That those two great illustrious... Sarah, Sarah made Hebrews 11. Can you tell that my Bible's open to Hebrews 11? What is Sarah doing in Hebrews 11? Because through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive. You mean she conceived because of her great faith? That's what it says. Was her faith great? Do you know how merciful the Lord is? The man, the father of the lunatic said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. And Jesus spoke the word and that lunatic was healed. Abraham gave glory to God, believing that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Though when we read the actual history, he laughed first. Now all that, let's get that out of the way. That the Lord isn't expecting perfect faith from you. He has perfected faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He sanctifies your imperfect faith, which the best faith we will ever have is imperfect, but it's made perfect by the perfect faith of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. That doesn't say we walk out of here unbelievers today. It just means He understands the weakness of our faith and the doubts that we have from time to time. But the reason we have sermons like this is to increase our faith about His promises. You know, most religions threateningly require more of you. The gospel is full of God's promises for you. Most religions want more from you. God's is great promises for you. 
Jesus Christ is the surety of our salvation and the blessings of His promises. God said in Romans 8.32, Paul said of God, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow. He did predestinate, and whom He predestinated, them He called, and whom He called, them He justified, and whom He justified, He glorified. That's a promise of God, but it uses the past tense for a future event, because with God it is that certain. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I need two more words. In Christ. It's in Christ. He's, he's the, he's the guarantor. It, we're not the guarantor. He's the guarantor. He is the surety, as it says in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. The New Testament is better than the Old Testament. You can say that on the authority of the Apostle Paul by the Holy Ghost. And I totally agree, and I hope you do, to be on this side of the cross is totally better than to be on the other side of the cross. To hear the declarations of this side of the cross against the declarations of the other side of the cross, Amen. Give me Hebrews over Leviticus. Give me Romans over Deuteronomy. Thank you, Lord. Oh, rejoice in these promises, brethren. Jesus Christ makes them all possible. He came into this world to perform the mercy promised to the fathers. Zacharias prophesied in Luke chapter 1. So many verses could be turned to. Since we're in Hebrews, let me pick one from a mess, a mass, a mess of a mass of verses. Hebrews 9.15 says, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament. He was called the surety. He's the performance bond. He's the guarantor. He's the certainty. Here he's called the mediator. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament. Hebrews 9.15 That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the, the, the promise of eternal inheritance. God promised eternal life before the world began. God promised an eternal inheritance to Abraham. He told Abraham, you look north, you look south, you look east, you look west. All this land from the great river Euphrates to the river Nile of Egypt, I give to you. When he never gave him so much ground to put the sole of his foot on, Stephen preached in Acts chapter 7, because it meant heaven. It meant heaven. That's why heaven is called Abraham's bosom. That's where Lazarus went, pus dripping from him because there were no dogs to lick him as he passed through the curtain of death into the presence of God. And I can tell you, there was no pus in heaven because there's no corruption there because he makes us, come on, incorruptible. It's a promise that we're going to be made incorruptible. Where, what chapter would you go to that has 58 verses? It's in the New Testament. It follows Romans and it tells you that you're going to be given an incorruptible body. It's a promise. He's going to rip you out of the ground. Somebody was talking to me this morning. We were talking about if you're going to join the military, you'd rather join the Air Force than the Navy. Because if you join the Air Force, what goes up does come down. But if you join the Navy, what goes down doesn't have to come up. We were talking about that. You say, what were you talking about that for? Because the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Wherever those submarines are in this world, it doesn't matter what nationality they're from, where they're sitting down there in the body, the bottom, and those bodies are trapped inside and corrupting by that salt water, 
God will raise them from the dead. And it's promised in the Bible. And we believe these things. And we get together to encourage each other in these things. And to embrace these things. And to believe them for yourself. Because remember, the Bible is a letter from God to you personally copied to the rest of us. Listen, once in a while, some of you send me emails where a, a man, your boss's boss has sent out an email to your boss identifying you for good performance and it's copied to the rest of the boss's boss's underlings, you get pretty jacked. You send it to me. And I love getting them. I do love getting them. Unbelievable. This is mine. This is mine. Anybody want to fight me for this? This is mine. Do you believe it with me? Amen. So it was written to you and copied to me? Uh Uh-uh. Mine was written to me and copied to you. Let's embrace these promises, brethren. They are wonderful. And they are all based on the Lord Jesus Christ. I just read to you Hebrews 9.15. The promise of eternal inheritance comes into force by the means of death. We believe in the means of salvation. Arminians and Calvinists alike write books and chapters about the means of salvation. Is it baptism? Is it faith? Is it the gospel? What is the means of salvation? It is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our surety. Does a handshake impress you guys? You know, we used to do deals by handshakes. Oh, we've got the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it better than a handshake? Right. Oh, thank you, Father in heaven. Is it better than a contract? You know, men renege on things they've written all the time. But the Lord Jesus Christ put his lifeblood on it. It's called the book of life of the Lamb slain. He's the only one found in heaven or on earth that could approach the throne of Almighty God and take the book of promises out of his hand. Why don't men keep their promises? Keep God in sight as I mention these to you. Why don't men keep their promises? Sometimes they get a little too emotional and exaggerate beyond the knowledge of the future or their ability to perform. Ever done that? Ever got a little too excited and exaggerated? Nobody wants to. (laughs) One person nods their head. Well, you and I can go to lunch today. We're the only two that are alike. Have you ever got a little too emotional and exaggerated a little bit when you made a promise? Men cannot see the future. They cannot see change that comes. And God knows this about our vowing. So he says in in Psalm chapter 15, in that short little psalm, he says, the man that's going to be with me in heaven is the man that swears to his own hurt and changes not. See, God knows that circumstances change and what was once a cheap promise is now expensive. But he wants you to keep his word because guess what? He keeps his word. And do you know how expensive it got? His son. You say, hurry up. You haven't even got to the list of promises yet. You're right, and I'm trying to hurry. I just want you to rejoice in this. Why don't men keep their promises? They promise based on the current performance of the object, the person they're promising to. But God's promises are in Christ. They're not dependent upon ours. Men promised based on their current ability to perform, but that can easily and greatly change. Our financial fortunes can be seriously affected. In fact, we can get sick and die. In fact, in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, it says that when you're making a business plan, you should say, if the Lord will, I will live and do this or that. 
Because you might not even live. Men are mortal and temporary and may meet with disaster and death, thus unable to pay. But he that liveth forever, the Lord Jesus Christ, not from the tribe of Levi, Levi, but made a priest forever, 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 after the order of Melchizedek. He is able to save you to the uttermost. And that is a function of time, that word, there in Hebrews chapter 7. Men promise based on their current attitude toward the object or the person they're promising to. But men are fickle and they change in their attitudes and emotions toward other people. Men are selfish and given to self-preservation and will renege on promises when it's helpful to them. When that promise becomes expensive to them. Men are liars by nature like their father the devil. So they maliciously promise in order to deceive. Men seldom make unconditional promises. Even gods are conditional in Christ Jesus. There's reasons why. But God is unlike us in every way and respect. God has assured us about His infallibility. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. I hope you read it last evening. Verses 11 through 20. They're wonderful verses. There are things God cannot do. And sometimes around His promises, He will remind you that there are things He cannot do. Numbers chapter 23, and I want you in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 6, I mean. Hebrews 6. Balaam over there in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Amen to Balaam. By the power of God's Holy Spirit, He spoke the truth. God is not a man. He doesn't lie. He doesn't repent. That is restated in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty nine, when Samuel told Saul about the God that he was dealing with and that he had violated. In Numbers chapter 14, in Numbers chapter 14, you can just stay there at Hebrews 6. Numbers 14 is when the 12 spies came back. 10 spies said the land was too dangerous for them to take. The whole nation turned against Moses. Moses begged on their behalf, appealing to a promise that God had made so that God wouldn't annihilate the whole nation right there on the spot. God said, I've heard your prayer. I will not annihilate them on the spot. I'll just kill everyone over 20 years of age over the next 40 years. But I want you, this is how it's described. After the number of the days in which he searched the land, even 40 days, Each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. Breach of promise. Does God breach His promises? When they're conditional promises and you don't meet the condition. What was the condition? Take the land of Canaan. I give it to you. He had promised it over and over and over and over and over and over to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and all the fathers of Israel. But they wouldn't take it. So he called it a breach of promise that the group of people that he brought out of Egypt never got to the land of Canaan, but he took their children in because they said our children are going to be prey for all those big bad giants in the land of Canaan. They didn't believe the promise when it was conditional. God is not like a man. He doesn't lie or repent. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, God that promised... Eternal life before the world began, and he cannot lie. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Here in Hebrews chapter 6, 
verses 11 through 20. I'm not going to read them to you again. I hope you read them. I hope that you can look at verse 11 and see that it says full assurance of hope. Where does full assurance of hope come from? Those who follow the promises in verse 12. Because God made promise in verse 13. And in verse 14, He swore. How does God swear? I swear by the living God. No, He doesn't swear that way because He is the living God. We put our left hand in the Bible, our right hand raised. So help me God. Well, God doesn't say so help me God because He is God. He says, surely, blessing, I will bless thee. That's His oath. That's, his, that's how it's worded when you are the highest authority and being in the universe. Surely, that's verse 14. Verse 15, Abraham patiently endured. He obtained the promise. Where is Abraham right now? And what promise is he enjoying? The promised land. The promised land in its real fulfillment. Heaven. Abraham's bosom. Verse 16, men verily swear by the greater in an oath for them is an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. There's no more disagreement about a promise when men take an oath. That's why they swear you to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in court. But God swore by Himself, wherein God, look at this, willing more abundantly, willing to go beyond just His promise, to show unto the heirs of promise, you are an heir of promise. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and the rest were heirs of promise. We live on this side of the cross. We take it for granted. Those poor people did not have the full revelation of the Bible. Abraham didn't read Genesis when he got up in the morning. Don't think, I'm not preaching heresy right now. Isaac didn't read Exodus when he got up in the morning. Who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Moses. Moses did. How far away was Moses? 400 years. They didn't have what we have. But God had told Abraham, all this land I will give you and your seed forever. The dispensationalists come along and think that he meant that piece of unproductive sand at the end of the Mediterranean Sea. He meant heaven. Because Hebrews 11, I've been over this so many times, but you must never forget Hebrews chapter 11 tells us exactly that Abraham understood that it was heaven and it had nothing to do with this earth. He was looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for a heavenly country. He wasn't looking. Are you kidding me? Cacti and sand? You say it's pretty prosperous now. Yeah, it's got up to a third world country because of America's investment over there. Grow up. Learn what's over there in the Middle East. It isn't Iowa. You're welcome. We have some great dirt in this country. Why did Abraham have to be fighting all the time for wells? Because there wasn't any water. Right. Why did Hezekiah have to build aqueducts? Because there wasn't any water. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the truth of so many things. Hebrews 6, verse 17. God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath. God's counsel was, Abraham is my man, and his descendants are going to be my seed. Jesus Christ is going to come through him, and through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
all Gentiles will be blessed through my man Abraham, because Abraham will be the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is my counsel. Now, how do I show my people that it is immutable? Cancer mutates. Cancer cells mutate. What does the word mutate mean? A C word. Change. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is immutable. It's a wonderful word. And it's written down to give you comfort. God doesn't change. Everyone else you know changes. I don't care how much you love them. They change. God doesn't change. But the immutability of His counsel confirmed it by an oath. His counsel was, I promise. His oath was, surely, blessing, I will bless thee. That by two immutable things, listen to the apostle just go on and on to confirm your faith and to build your assurance and confidence that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope. I wish I had a screen behind me and I could underline these words so that you would understand that verse 18 is just jam-packed full of stuff to build your faith and to build your hope and to build your expectation on God's promises because there are two immutable things. He promised and He swore with an oath. And why did He do that? To give you a strong consolation. To build and increase your hope. He was willing more abundantly. That 17th verse. He was willing more abundantly. He went beyond the call of duty. Because he wanted us to know that it is absolutely going to happen. And that poor beggar, Lazarus, at the rich man's gate being licked by dogs, he is in Abraham's bosom because he was an heir of that promise. But he never got to read Hebrews chapter 6. You get to read Hebrews chapter 6. How should we live in comparison to poor Lazarus? How should we live in comparison to poor David? How should we live in comparison to poor Moses? We have the promises. We have the better covenant. We have the better promises. We have the mediator. We have the surety. We have everything. Are we living like it? Are we living like it, brethren? Oh, Lord, help us. When God declares a promise, it's as good as done. Right. And that hope that we have in verse 19 is an anchor for the soul. Anchor. Your soul is anchored. Your soul can endure anything if you will keep your eyes. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Yes. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. If, you, if we will keep these promises before our eyes and we will remind each other of these promises, we can take the sea of life no matter what storms God throws at us. The martyrs were able to do it. Others did it before us and we have the best of all lives that have ever been seen. Let's just hope that it doesn't cause us to forget these promises by being too fat and too happy, too protected and too pampered. Oh, Lord, help us. There were so many kings that were so wicked that came from David and God wanted to cut off David's line. But could God cut off David's line? Could he make a breach in that promise since it wasn't conditional? Jehoram was so wicked. He was like Ahab. Howbeit, the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David and as he promised to give a light to him and to his sons forever. There were a lot of bad kings. They were all bad. 
except for Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat, and Josiah. But God would not take away the lamp out of David's house because there was another king coming that would be righteous forever. Amen. The Lord Jesus. Amen. So he performed by his own oath. Our hope is sure and steadfast. This is why God promises. This is why God has sworn with an oath. I'm at Hebrews 6.19. It says that hope is an anchor of the soul. We can be stable in very unstable waters. It is sure and steadfast, and it enters into that within the veil, into the very presence of God. That veil is reference to the Old Testament veil that kept people from the presence of God. Our hope in Christ, because Christ is inside the veil, sitting at the right hand of God, and God has made promises based on Christ's performance, we can go right into that veil. The forerunner is for us entered. Why is he called the forerunner? Because we're running right behind him. Right. He gets there first. We're coming right behind him. Because the promise that got him there is going to get us there. Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me, I will lose none of them. What effect should God's promises have on us? Sometimes the, the reason for God's promises are stated like right here. For an increase in our assurance and confidence. In a passage that I'm going to share with you before the day's over, it's to provoke us to living more holy lives. Because there are promises that are conditional upon our separation from sin. They are revealed, there are, there are conditional promises revealed for those that will obey by faith. Just turn back a couple page, one page to Hebrews chapter 4. Look at what Paul said. This is in the middle of two chapters, chapters 3 and 4, where the Apostle Paul exhorted these Jews to remember that their Jewish fathers missed the land of Canaan for a lack of faith in the gospel. And look at what Paul, how Paul words it. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Let us therefore fear, Paul, to Hebrews living in that time, let us therefore fear, fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. And the apostle Paul goes through some argumentation over the next ten verses explaining that the Sabbath was not a real rest. That Canaan was not a real rest. That the real rest is the gospel of Jesus Christ where we finish working for our salvation because Jesus did all the work for it. And he says, let us therefore fear. We're going to be like the generation that didn't make it to the land of Canaan, but were killed in the wilderness if we don't have faith in the gospel. So we want to believe those conditional promises that are laid out to us. Daniel chapter 11 says, "Them those that did know their God, and it's referring to the Maccabees, did exploits. And those little, that little band of guerrilla warriors there in the, in the two centuries leading up to the Lord Jesus Christ fought off the Persians, fought off the Greeks, fought off the Seleucid Empire of the remains of the Greek Empire in order to rededicate the temple to Jehovah. Them that do know their God shall do exploits. When you know the promises of God, they give men greatness that men don't otherwise have because they have declared commitments of God to be with them and to perform for them. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of them whose hearts are perfect toward Him. Amen. Now with a promise like that, can you go into battle? With a pro Oh, we don't go into battle. With a promise like that, can you repair your hot water heater without losing it? That's about as bad as it's going to get over the next year, isn't it? We're pitiful. Lord, help us to be great. We are thankful.
for the prosperous place you've put us. And brethren, look at Hebrews 10. We're staying at Hebrews so you don't have to wear out your Bible or take too much time. But look at Hebrews 10, verse 23. Why did we come to church today? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. When I get to Revelation 2 and 3 and show you the promises, 18 promises in the Revelation chapters 2 and 3 for overcomers. What is an overcomer? Someone who holds fast their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ against any opposition. Overcomers. They believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they will not be moved from believing, loving, and obeying Him. That's what an overcomer is. Eighteen incredible promised blessings to overcomers. Let us, Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Let's not waver. For He is faithful that promised. Notice all the promises that we have in Christ Jesus. God is faithful to perform them. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Because God is faithful. God's made promises. We come together in an assembly, and we don't forsake our assembling so that we can come together and help each other be overcomers because overcomers have pr- enormous benefits and blessings and rewards promised to them. Right. These are the things that God's told us that make them important. We love fulfilled prophecy. We also love fulfilled promises. Did God ever give Solomon the wisdom that he promised he would give him? Oh, yes, indeed he did. Did God ever give Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and the the Israelites the land that he promised? Oh, yes, he did. Thank you, Lord. Did God ever give David a son to sit in his throne forever? Is Jesus the son of David? Jesus is the son of David twice. By two different sons of David. Do you all know that? Jesus, through his mother, is the son of Nathan of Bathsheba by David. Jesus, through his legal father Joseph, is the son of David through Solomon. I think that's pretty much a son of David, don't you? Two different ways. Legally, biologically, two different sons of David by Bathsheba. God keeps His promises. Brethren, it's wise and prudent for you to know the promises of God In Ephesians 6, 2, and 3, it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth which the Lord thy God giveth thee, because that is the first commandment with promise. Now, who wrote those words? This is the first commandment with promise. God wrote that. Now, see, God had written it the first time in Exodus chapter 20, and He repeats it in Ephesians chapter 6. But He wants you to remember, I attached a promise to this one. I attached a promise to this one. He wants you to remember His promises. Moses in Numbers 14, where we were a little while ago. I'm not going to turn you to it. Moses in Numbers 14. Twelve spies come back. Ten say we can't take it. The nation wants to kill Moses. God says, stand back. I'll annihilate the nation. I'll start over with you. And we'll get a good nation this time. Moses begs him on the basis of a promise. When you showed me your glory, you said... The Lord, the Lord God, forgiving iniquity and sin. 
Now show me that you meant your promise. Was that considered sacrilegious or blasphemy? That is effective praying. And God said to Moses, I have heard your prayer. I will keep my word. I will not kill them all right now. I'll do it over 40 years. And I'll bring their children in. But all of that, that little story, was not to chase a rabbit or to fill up time. It's to make you think, remembering God's promises and using them in prayer with God is what great men do like Moses. If you've ever read 2 Samuel 7 where God and David expostulate about who's going to build who a house, you should hear David in the same chapter take God's promise and just keep repeating it back to him. Make sure you keep your promise, Lord. What I've just heard is not the way that God normally speaks to men, but do it repeatedly. Right. right in the same conversation. You say, well, that sounds like an unbeliever. It sounds like David, the man after God's own heart. Do you want to be like David or not? Remember, Remind him of his promises. You know, most of the promises are in the New Testament that we're going to deal with when we come back. For the sake, for the sake of studying promises, and here's my problem. This is a big problem. For the sake of studying promises and wanting to do it in one Sunday, what do you do? There's thousands of promises. In fact, the more I thought about it, the whole Bible can be turned into a list of promises. The whole Bible by prophets, apostles, and implications of declarations made by the writers is filled with promises. But we're going to only consider promises that are made in the first person where God says, I will. Okay? i got to limit, I got to limit the, the mass. The mess, and I mean a mess is a large quantity of something. So those that are in the first person, sort of like Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen. Is that personal? Amen. The one making the promise, is that singular? I? Right. Is it God? It's right. I will never leave. It's not you. A plural pronoun. It's a singular pronoun. Is that one of those places that was written to you and copied to me? Or written to me and copied to you? Thank you. We'll only consider promises that are positive for us or negative for our enemies. We'll only consider the declaration, we'll consider declarations of blessings that are actually called promises as promises as well. But let every carnal or compromising Christian right now understand that God's promises on the negative side are just as true and will be performed like the ones on the positive side. Because if he didn't, then he wouldn't be true to his word either, and he wouldn't be a loving father that chastens disobedient children. And we'll emphasize the New Testament. This means that we're going to have to pass over many promises. I'm sorry. You know, we're going to have to pass over Second Chronicles 16.9, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro in the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those that fear him. We're going to have to run over that one. We're going to have to run over, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Job 22, 21. We're going to have to run over Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. We're going to have to go over that one. We're going to have to leave Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 alone that says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Brother, we're going to have to leave the eagle and the young man running and never wearing out, never getting tired in Isaiah chapter 40 and 41 and 43 in the words of 
how how firm a foundation that we sang this morning. We're going to have to leave that. I can't tell you about Isaiah 58 and verse 9 that where God says that if you'll do what I've told you to do, I will come to you and say, here I am. Isaiah 58, 9 should give you goosebumps to read it. God says if you'll do things my way, I will come to you and say, here I am. I'm sorry that we're not going to be able to deal with Jeremiah 29, 13 that says, if you'll seek me with your whole heart, you shall find me. I'm sorry about Malachi 3 in the book of remembrance that's written. And in the great, and in God, when God brings judgment, he will make a difference between the righteous and the wicked because of those that he's written in his book of remembrance. We're not going to have time for Matthew 121 where the angel said to Joseph, she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. It doesn't meet my criteria, so we're not going to be able to think about it. We're not going to be able to remember that Jesus said to the thief, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I hope you won't be bothered by the fact that we can't look at these. We can't remember Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. I'm sorry that Romans 8.28 did not make the cut. And all things work together for good to them that know God, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We're not going to be able to go to Galatians 3.16 and remember that the promises to Abraham were promises to us. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I'm sorry about 1 Thessalonians 4 where Paul said, We have received the Lord Jesus, that the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I'm sorry that we don't have time for that one. I'm sorry about James 1.12 that says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he'll be given a crown of life. I'm sorry that 1 John 1.9 didn't make it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is it okay? Is it okay that we overlook those and another couple thousand? We have a lot of promises to look at in the second assembly. For all the promises of God in Him are yea and in Him, amen, to the glory of God by us. The apostle got to preach that message. I am very thankful to be able to preach to you that God has declared promises and His Word is true. He cannot lie. He does not repent. You can count on His promises. He has sworn with an oath and they will all come to pass. And if you will embrace them and live by them, they will give you assurance and confidence. They will lead to holy living. They will cause you to do exploits. You will be provoked about keeping God's commandments better because some of His promises are conditional based on you obeying Him. Let's take those little song sheets that have been handed out to you. And I would like to hear everyone that knows that little song, let me know that they know it. And let the Lord know.